Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you so much for joining us on BC Podcast. Here's a message to encourage your heart this week. Well, good morning, Bible Center family. It is great to be with you here this morning and uh, just to be able to be part of your global weekend. We had a blast last night having dinner, just connecting with the other missionaries and hearing their stories. And I'd love to hear the report this morning from Julian, but I don't know about you guys, he was way too relaxed for me. Like everybody's leaving Ukraine and he's like, it's pretty safe, we're going in. It's like, let's run into the fire together. But that's just incredible when you hear the stories of what's happening in that part of the world. And you're right, it's so easy to be comfortable where we're at. And we're gonna be talking today as we continue the series, and I've just loved being able to connect with the series with you all, uh, but been able to talk about God, where he is gonna share with, here, share with us here in Acts chapter one, what's next, what do we do? And Julian's story is so true about that, it's talking about going into reach people, being sent to the uttermost parts of the world, maybe it's a war zone, maybe it's an incredibly poor country, maybe it's an incredibly rich country where people have everything and don't feel a need for God. It's being sent to the uttermost part of the world. But just an incredible testimony. And when you think about, we think about our circumstances and our comfort, and sorry, this is just a rabbit trail before we get into the word of God today, but you think of this whole aspect about what God is doing, the war in Ukraine is a horrible thing, isn't it? But I was just hearing last week from a friend of ours who's in Ukraine, and he talked about everybody, same as Yuli, and everybody leaving and heading to Poland and Romania and Moldova and all these countries, and yet I never realized two aspects. One, that Ukraine was a, was a heavily evangelized country, and now you have millions of refugees in these other countries. So is Ukraine a sending country? Sending people out who know the gospel? But at the same time, these other countries receiving them into Poland and into Romania, seeing people at one of the most difficult times in life, one of the most traumatic times in life, and able to care for them and intersect the gospel into their lives. Think about that, because that's what we're going to jump into today as as we finish or as we continue with this whole challenge that we see in Acts chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, flip over to Acts chapter 1 or follow along We're going to look at a couple of those different aspects. But understanding the timing, and for me, putting into context, following along in your series, I loved a few weeks ago, even as Sean Thornton uh, talked on Good Friday, I think it was, about Christ. Because we think of Easter, and then we connect up this Thursday is Ascension Day. This is the 40-day period after the death, burial, and resurrection before Christ ascended back to heaven. That's kind of where our context is this Sunday morning. But Sean talked to us about the true king, the gentle king. I loved what he said, in control but never oppresses. The gentle king and the worthy king. And even last week, it got a little bit more uncomfortable because you think of this incredible sacrifice that God did in sending his son to die on the cross. But last week when Pastor Mike was talking, I don't know about you, and I'm a professional missionary. I get paid to do this stuff. And he's talking about making disciples. And I love the phrase where he he literally said in there, um, challenging us with the aspect of the commission that was given to us, not the suggestion to make disciples, the commission, being sent to do something. Am I making disciples? And I had to stop and ask myself that. I'm sitting in South Africa as a missionary. Am I doing what God has me to do? 
Same as you sitting here in Charleston or Pinch or Elkview or wherever you live, are you doing what God has asked us to do? It's so simple. Make disciples while we're going, while we're baptizing, while we're teaching. And I love the fact that he challenged us to get uncomfortable. And then you hear Julian's testimony this morning, and I don't know about you, but maybe that degree of uncomfort just expanded a little bit more. And I think that's what God's gonna do as he continues to show us from his word that every day has not been called, we have not been called to have a day of comfort, we've been, have, we've been called to have a day of mission, to be on mission for him. He spoke last week too about being an ambassador and what type of an ambassador would we be both with our words and our actions. Being an ambassador in your own city for Christ, being an ambassador if you're sent across the world to a country called South Africa or a continent or wherever that may be, Bolivia, Togo, so many different missionaries here that Bible Center is part of, realizing that they are ambassadors for Christ right where God has put them to be. Well, let me just read for us here in Acts chapter one, and we'll jump into this passage and make a couple connecting thoughts this morning. Acts chapter one starts out this way. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. After he had given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And it's interesting here, you, you look at the whole aspect of this 40 days that we see in the background up there in verse two, verse three. Jesus, we know in the New Testament, we read that he was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days in preparation for the next phase of ministry. You can jump in the Old Testament and you see where Moses went up onto the Mount Sinai and God was spending 40 days with him. And even right now, as I mentioned, Thursday being Ascension Day, as we reflect on Easter, this was the 40-day period as Christ spent time with his apostles, with his disciples, in preparation for the church's mission to the world. And that's where we pick it up this morning. This whole aspect of baptism of the Holy Spirit, he never corrects the disciples in saying that they were asking the wrong question, but they were focused on the when. When is this gonna happen? And he said, it's not about when it's gonna happen, it's about what you need to be involved in doing. What are you doing? So he said, instead of figuring all that timing out, I want to give you the mission, and that's bringing to your attention as disciples and apostles that you are to be a worldwide witness. We can see very simple in verse eight here, an outline that's presented. We see a person, a power, and a program. We see the person, Jesus Christ. We see a power, that's the Holy Spirit. And we see a program of expanding worldwide witness. 
their world as they knew it today. Our world today is even much larger. But it's interesting in there, in that verse, the whole aspect about where he asked them to go, he gives them the what. Last week, we heard the what as far as making disciples. This week, we hear our second what now. Be my witness. And there's even a couple little clues as you look in your Bible. If you've got a Bible with red letters, this is in red letters, so we know this is Jesus Christ saying, be my witness, be a witness of Jesus Christ. The word my is capitalized. The first letter there, M, is capitalized, referring to Christ, referring to God. So we're to be witnesses as our utmost calling. That's, that's what every one of us, if you're a child of God, is called to do. He doesn't call us to be theologians, philosophers, leaders, whatever this occupation may be. Those are all secondary aspects of what God wants us to do. But regardless of what your occupation is, maybe your occupation today is retired. I was talking to a gentleman uh, the, other, the other week and realized that part of the mission that he started up, he only started up when he was 75 years old. Met another gentleman last night who started getting involved in missions and he's a partner here with Bible Center at 72. So even if, you're, even if your occupation is retired, God says you're to be my witnesses. If you're a young person here and you're thinking, I'm not even old enough to drive, I can barely tie my shoes. God gives you the same mission to be his witness. That was the primary call, was to be witness. If you read through the book of Acts, this word is used as a verb and as a noun 29 times. It's interesting, I read one commentator in studying on this, and this is some of those things that becomes a little bit uncomfortable as we study familiar passages of the word of God. Uh, the word witness, okay, I can get my head around that. That means you're observing something and you're telling other people about it. I need to be a witness for Christ. I've observed what Christ has done in my life and what he's done in other people's lives. I observe it, I should tell other people about it. That's our testimony, isn't it? What has God done in my life? What can he do in your life, being a witness? But there was a second use of the same word, and we'll have to pass this out for the experts to tell us exactly what this is, but it, it honestly surprised me a little bit. The second use, this word, this Greek word, can be translated also into the word martyr. I thought that's interesting, because if you look at what Jesus Christ was calling his disciples to do, they were martyred for Christ, weren't they? Be my witnesses had a cost associated with it. If God says, would you be my witness? I think I would consider that. Matter of fact, Christy and I did consider that many years ago as we moved to South Africa. And that was just a change of an address. We were already being witnesses for Christ. But what if Christ had worded it that way to me? Are you willing to be a martyr? Are you willing to die for me? And I hear Julian's testimony, and I was talking to Ryan last night at supper in, in Nicaragua, and I know some of you guys went on the trip to Nicaragua, and I'm not trying to say that missions is all about danger around the world, but it is about calling. And Jesus Christ, looking at his disciples, they ended up being martyred for his cause. Sometimes it gets a little bit uncomfortable, doesn't it? because we're choosing to be obedient to God or not to be obedient to God. We're choosing to be comfortable or choosing to obey. 
And we have to realize that what God puts before us and what God asks us to do really is not suggestions, as Mike said last week, but it's commands, and we have to choose if we're going to, be, if we're going to obey. Would I be willing to sit there if Christ looked at me and said, are you willing to be my martyr? We have to remember, though, that the, there's incredible comfort in this verse because we talked about a person and a power. The power is not ourselves. The power comes from the Holy Spirit. And he tells them that, right? He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come onto you. In just a few days, get ready. The Holy Spirit's coming. And, and we have all of the book of Acts, so we know it happens at Pentecost. But can you imagine the disciples? They had no idea what was coming. Jesus Christ is just commissioning them, and he's going to give us it here in the next sentence. He's going to give them the plan and the locations. He's commissioning them to do an impossible mission, but he says, you're not alone. So when he asks them to be my witnesses or asks them to be a martyr, they're not alone, and that's incredibly comforting. He said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to be there to bear oral testimony. He's going to be there for the disciples. He gave them the opportunity to perform miracles, to act with authority, and to see incredible things happen. And I, and I heard someone say the other week as they were speaking, all of us as Christians would love the opportunity to see a miracle happen. But most of us are not comfortable living the circumstances that would require for a miracle to happen. Think about that for a second. The disciples saw miracles happen. Would you want to live in their circumstances in order to see those things happen? I'm convinced that part of Satan's plan for Christians and his plan for the church, because he's been working on this for a long time, is to get us so wrapped up in being comfortable that we just decide that that's okay for us to be there for us to remain there, to live in that comfort aspect. Listen to this summary from this author that Longnecker says, the Christian church, according to Acts, is a missionary church that responds obediently to Jesus's commission. It acts on Jesus's behalf in the extension of his ministry. It focuses its proclamation of the kingdom of God in its witness to Jesus, is guided and empowered by the self-same the self spirit that directed and supported Jesus' ministry, and it follows a program whose guideline for outreach has been set by Jesus himself. It's a great summary, isn't it? What's the program that he lays out for the disciples here? It's very clear. It says right at the end of verse 8, in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It started local, didn't it? Jerusalem, at the time considered to be an incredibly evil city. But you see a lot of religion that was happening in that city. It was a city of maybe 55,000 people that during festival times would swell to 180,000. All the tourists came to Jerusalem, and then everybody who lived local was like, can't you go home now? But there was so much stuff that came to that city. He says, listen, I want you to start right here. He actually tells the disciples, wait for the Holy Spirit. And they said, I want you to start right here. And we saw an incredible example of who Jesus Christ ministered to in that city. He ministered to very unpopular people. Just look at his group of disciples, right? We've seen that over the last few weeks. Just the people that he recruited. 
It was young people. It was tax collectors. It was, it was people that nobody wanted anything to do with. That's who Jesus Christ hung out with because he looked at every corner of the city and said, we need to reach these people. And he tells his disciples as they start out, you need to start right here. The people in Jerusalem had a lot of religiosity. They, they had a lot of teaching from the Bible, but they missed seeing the Messiah right in front of them. Somebody said it this way, witnessing to the Jews there in Jerusalem meant witnessing to those who held a true religion but held it for the most part falsely or unreally. He says, after Jerusalem, the next strategy was to go to Judea and Samaria. Witnessing Samaria into Samaria and Judea was really going to a mixed area. It was a mixed area of cultures. It was a mixed area of religion. Some people got it, some people didn't get it. And you can not only see the physical progression from Jerusalem to the area of Judea and Samaria, but you also see the physical progression of the difficulty in which he was sending his disciples to. Because we have to realize that as we follow God and as God gives us opportunities and he teaches us in life, he doesn't teach us and train us for something more comfortable. As my kids were growing up, Christy mentioned that we have two kids and 10 adorable dogs. We also rented four other kids. We had four other boys that lived with us during high school. Right now, all of them are out of the house between the ages of 20, 22 and 26. But we had a saying with our kids when they were in high school. We said, life is hard, so let's do it together. And the reason for that is because we didn't want our kids developing an excuse coming home and saying, oh man, this is too hard to do, or my job is too difficult, or my boss is impossible. We're like, that's kind of the accepted norm, isn't it? Life is hard. Don't use it as an excuse not to do life. Life is hard, so let's do it together. But that's what Christ says, right? That's what he's calling the disciples. He says, be my witnesses. This is gonna be difficult, but let's do it together. Let's start right where we're at, but then let's move. Let's, let's look at the difficulties of our city to reach them, and let's move to the next area, Judea and Samaria. He goes, and by the way, when we get done there, let's go to the uttermost part of the world. When everybody's leaving a war zone, let's go. When everybody's leaving economic collapse, let's go. Let's pick the difficult places. Let's pick the unreached places because life is hard. Let's do it together. And he really lays out, you can even see the strategy as you study this where he uses Paul in different aspects and he, he sends Paul. Paul, a little bit later on here, is gonna be converted on the road to Damascus. Paul, Saul turns into Paul. Paul was one of these people who was incredibly focused he was just focused on killing Christians, and then he trusts Christ, and now he still has that same passion and that same focus, but it's for Christ being his witness. And it's no surprise that he would send Paul to the most difficult places, right? Because he used those difficult circumstances in Paul's life to train him. He uses Peter, the rock, right? This is the rock, the same one that betrayed Christ three times. I'll, I'd rather die than not, not be with you, and yet he very quickly turned on his word, but we see Jesus Christ beautifully restoring him three times, a totally broken person. That's who God wants to use. See, I share a couple of these aspects when we look at the strategy of where, because it's also who. Think of who Jesus Christ used. He used the impossible, why? So that he got the glory. One of, the, one of the verses that my wife claimed for me the other year is, is God chooses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. 
And you can guess where I fit into that verse. Because God gets the glory when we're not talented, when we don't have abilities, when we, when, we don't, when we don't have all these gifts. And I love like the music group with all their gifts and talents. And God has given people incredible gifts and talents to use for him. But sometimes we feel like we have nothing. We're just broken. We've betrayed Christ like Peter. And, and God says, I can use you. Because in your brokenness, God doesn't have to battle for the glory, does he? When I'm broken and humble before God, God gets all the glory. When I'm doing something that's impossible, God gets all the glory. When I'm doing something that's possible, it's easy for me to try to take that from God. And God says, we're gonna reach the uttermost part of the world for his honor and for his glory, not for our own. So he continues in here when he says this whole aspect about being my witness And we heard this last week, which was perfect, where he challenged us in Matthew 28 to make disciples, to be his witness here in Acts. So we see this two aspect about make disciples while we're going, while we're baptizing, while we're teaching. And here in Acts 1, be my witness, be a witness for God, be commissioned for him, go and do what he asks us to do. Two simple things as we continue this morning. First of all is the how, and secondly is the where. The how. That's what you've asked us as missionaries to go do in a different part of the world, but that's also what God has asked you to do here, right where you live in Charleston. I can't think of it any better way. Paul, Paul says this, actually. In a 1 Corinthians 9.23, Paul tells us, I've become all things to all people so that I might, may by every possible means save some. Verse 23 says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. And that's what Jesus Christ is commissioning the disciples, but all of us there in Acts 1, he said, I want you to do everything for the sake of the gospel. So when you go to your job and work, it's for the sake of the gospel. When you're at home, it's for the sake of the gospel. When you go to Walmart, it's for the sake of the gospel. When you go to the mechanic, it's for the sake of the gospel. I don't know about you, but I've had a number of times in my life where my kids have taught me incredibly humiliating and powerful lessons. And for me, a number of those times when my anger would take over when I was talking to someone instead of the the kindness that I should have as a Christian. I know none of you have problems with anger. Uh, We always talk about the gray hair coming from my children. I probably gave myself my own gray hair because of anger. And I can remember getting to the end of a conversation with someone on a phone call when I was frustrated. And my son saying, so dad, could you witness to them right now? Could you share Christ with them? Absolutely not, son. I could not do that. And realized like, man, I just messed up what Paul said. I do everything for the sake of the gospel because in that phone call and in that anger, I wanted something for me. And I could not turn around and share with them the love of Christ. So everything that we do when we interact with people, think about how we can take a conversation and share Christ with them to be his witness. That's what Paul says, I do everything for the sake of the gospel. If you look earlier there in 1 Corinthians 9, he's like, I become weak for the weak. I become strong for the strong. I understand the law. I understand their culture. It's really what everybody needs to do as a missionary, isn't it? And you're a missionary right here in your home city, but don't get comfortable with being where you are because God took the disciples where they were and he moved them. But think about this. First of all, the how. I love to share it this way. I heard this from a friend of mine. He said, you need to have a cause circle in life. 
Everybody needs to have a cause circle in life, and this is what it looks like. It involves three different aspects, prayer, care, and share, and you need to intersect people in all three of these aspects for his cause. Be my witness. It all starts with prayer. Somebody once said, why would we ever start talking to people about God first if we haven't spoken to God about those people? The most powerful tool that we all have is prayer. Who are you praying for? This is one of the most convicting things for me. I have to look and I have to have a plan every day. Am I praying for someone who does not know Christ? If I'm not praying for someone who doesn't know Christ, that's my prayer. God, give me someone else I can pray for that doesn't know you. Prayer is the most powerful thing we do. Care. You heard that in Julian, you're going to hear that from all your different global partners, the opportunities to care. Care. Asking people questions. You know what's the most interesting thing in conversation? When you ask somebody else a question, they answer you. When we speak the whole time, they just have to listen. When I tell them all about myself, that's not engaging them, but when I ask them questions, I can engage them and show genuine interest in who they are as a person. Try it. One of the most difficult times, and I don't, I, I don't follow everything here in America, we've lived in South Africa 17 years now, but the government came out one day and said, you all need to put a mask on as soon as you leave your house, and we all put a mask on. Matter of fact, we're still wearing masks. Here it's great, it's like no masks, I love it. But when you, when you have a mask on, you have another barrier. It was so difficult to engage people because everybody was behind this mask. And you couldn't see it. You couldn't read lips. You couldn't see expressions. My daughter was like, just learn to read people's eyes. I'm like, I'm not that good at that detail. I need the whole face. She's like, no, you can tell they're happy by their eyes. I'm like, I can't do that. I need the whole face. So what could I do to engage somebody? I had to ask them a question because that gave them the freedom to speak to me. And it was the weirdest thing, and my wife could share the same stories. You'd walk into the grocery store, but if you spoke to someone, they were like, oh, someone's talking to me, and they would engage back, showing that you care. Times of difficulty in someone's life, bearing one another's burdens is a difficult thing when people are going through difficulty. But I tell you what, when someone's going through difficulty is the easiest time in the world to show them that you care. Care engages people. So start by prayer. You need to have a cause circle. Who are you praying for? Who are you caring for? Move somebody from the prayer aspect into the care aspect. What can you intentionally do to care for people? And then thirdly, share. Know the gospel. Be able to speak the gospel. Be able to share this aspect of it. One of, one of, the, one of the things that, you, you know what happens a lot of times and when you get older like me, by the way, my wife and I are matching this morning. I heard somebody else say, when you get older, you start to match in clothes. We just wanted to identify, you can pick us out, like where's Waldo, where's John and Christy? We matched this morning. It's totally an African thing. That's what they do when they go to church on Sundays. But as you, as you get older, uh, you begin to realize that there's a lot of things that are said again and again, and they're quotes, and we begin to be influenced by quotes, but maybe they're actually not accurate. And I love this. I heard this a few times over the last few weeks, this whole aspect about sharing Christ with others. It needs to be our words and it needs to be our actions. One of the quotes I heard for years, and I actually just heard this the other month, that it, the quote is actually not true. You believe it or not, you can look it up on Google to see if it's true or not true, because Google tells us everything that's correct in the world, doesn't it? But one of the quotes that I think has become damaging, and I understand the context behind it, was the quote that's attributed to Francis Assisi. Share the gospel and if necessary, use words. 
He actually never said that. You can go through some of the things that he said and maybe pick that principle, but that was kind of a consolidation. If you come to Africa, everybody's going to go to a church service and going to say, God is good. And then they're going to say, all the time. So you hear these quotes that are repeated around the world. But this quote is damaging. Share the gospel, and if necessary, use words. My friend restated it this way. Share the gospel. It is necessary. And be sure to use clear words. Share the gospel. I think maybe in, in history, and some of you may be new followers of Christ, and so you don't have this history, and that's great. Don't let us warp your mind. But in history, we've grown up in churches, and we've been taught to present the gospel. The gospel is not a presentation. The gospel is a conversation. A presentation has a starting point and a finishing point. A conversation continues. So when we pray, we're having a conversation with God about people. When we care, we're touching people's lives. We're caring for them. And when we share, we're having a conversation that Paul says, I do everything for the gospel so that I can continue to talk out and live out. Let my words and my actions match to share Christ with people. Prayer, care, share. And this is the awesome part. That starts here. So we first of all talk about the whole aspect of the how, that's the gospel, having a cause circle. The where starts here. It starts right where you live. It starts in your job, it starts in your home, it starts in our school, it starts in our neighborhood, but it doesn't stay there because the disciples were following Christ and they were sharing the gospel and he says, you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the ends of the earth. So it starts here and then he says, I want you to go somewhere. I want you to go somewhere. And that's where it gets uncomfortable because God's calling us all to go. Sometimes it's across the street, sometimes it's across the world. Are you willing to be more comfortable in obedience to God than you are in the comfort of where you're uncomfortably living at now? Julian has an incredible story, not only talking about Ukraine, and you gotta, if you get a chance, talk to him today. He's from Romania studied here in the US, had an incredible job in Texas with an amazing church, but he remembered the call that, put, that God put on his life. And it was the call to go back to more difficult lifestyle and circumstances. What about us? Are we willing to go wherever God wants us to go? We've got to wrap up here shortly. Let me just read that quote for you one more time as it summarizes this whole aspect in Acts. And then I'll share with you our story. The Christian church, according to Acts, is a missionary church. Bible-centered church is a missionary church. You're engaged in global missions, but you're doing it locally. You've had over like 400 new people visit your church since January. You are reaching. That's not like the first step. That means someone's connected with someone to even bring them to one of your events or church or Sunday school or small groups or whatever you call them. You've done that. You're connecting people daily to your church. You're a missionary church that responds obediently to Jesus' commission, not a suggestion. 
acts on Jesus' behalf in the extension of the ministry focuses its proclamation of the kingdom of God and its witness to Jesus and is guided and empowered by the self-same spirit that directed and supported Jesus' ministry and then follows a program whose guidelines for outreach have been set by Christ himself. What's the program? Start local, start where you are, and then go. What does the time frame look like? It looks different for everybody. Christy and I served in upstate New York for the first 13 years of our marriage, the first 12 and a half years of our marriage. We loved what we were doing. We were working with young people. We were working with college students. We were plugged into our community. Christy was volunteering at school and on the EMS squad. We were reaching people. And God said, you're doing what I've asked you to do. Now I'm going to change the where. And he put us into South Africa for the last 17 years. You know what? God just changed our where again. Because we love South Africa, but all of a sudden South Africa went from being my uttermost part of the world to my Jerusalem, because that's where I live, that's where my home is, that's where my church is, that's where my grocery store is, that's where my bank is, that became home. And God took us completely out of our comfort zone. He said, I want you to work with teams all across Africa. Our mission board serves in 10 countries. There's 54 countries in Africa he's asked us to reach with national, with international, with Western, with Brazilian, with European missionaries reaching this incredible continent. Where does God have you? And are you ready to move? That's what he asked the disciples. The disciples just spent three and a half years with him. He says, now get ready because I'm leaving and you need to go. So everything that God brings us through in our current situation is to teach us for something different something a little bit more awkward, something where he is gonna be guaranteed to get the glory because we can't take the glory from him. Are you willing to go? Am I willing to go when God changes my where? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that your word In all honesty, God makes me uncomfortable at times because even in doing what you've asked me to do, I can drift back into comfort in South Africa. Lord, uh, six months ago, nobody in Romania was planning to go help refugees in the Ukraine. Nobody understood, Lord Ryan, as he was going into Nicaragua, that things were gonna be shut down or things were gonna be difficult, but he continued to go. So Lord, when you ask us to go, help us to realize it's not as overwhelming as we think it is. It's just a matter of being willing to be obedient to you. Because when we're overwhelmed and we know that we can't do it, just like your disciples knew they couldn't do it, we're comforted by the fact that you've given us your Holy Spirit. You go with us. You help us on a daily basis. Lord, help us to continually be dependent upon you. Help us never, ever to lose our dependence on you. And when we lose our dependence on you, shake us to bring us back to the point where you said you wanted to reach the uttermost ends of the earth with your gospel. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com and give us a follow on all platforms at Bible Center.